We survived the thunderstorm or whatever was supposed to. <laughs> I feel like when they say, look out, there's a thunderstorm, I have no need to worry. It's when then something hits and we have no idea that it's, it's like one, one thing or another. Beautiful light. If you were up while it was still dark out, I guess north of us, but it was uh, quite, a, uh, quite a lightning quite a lightning show. Um, we're continuing our journey in the book of John uh, this morning. And, and so we're going to be in John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. Uh, and we get this interaction with John the Baptist. And, and here's the deal. People can tell about your love. People can tell about your love by the attitude in which you live your life. Have you ever heard, uh, you know, you speak more with your actions than your words, right? You, you can uh, say something, but if your actions don't align with what you say, there becomes this inconsistency, and so many times what we do will trump uh, what we say, what we say, because uh, what we're doing is an outpouring of what's in our heart, right, or should be. And so, love, love is this action effort. It's not just words; it's actions backed up with this attitude of love. And so, what is your attitude today? What's your What's your attitude? Uh, John three twenty two through 36 our verses say after this Jesus and his disciples went into the countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing John was also baptizing uh, because water was plentiful there good reason to be baptizing tough to baptize out in the middle of the desert good to know that if you're going to be baptizing you want to be somewhere where there's plentiful uh, water and, and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison and now a discussion arose between some of John disciples uh, John's disciples and a few uh, and a Jew over purification and they went to John and said to him rabbi he who was with you across the Jordan see that guy over there <laughs> to whom you bore witness Look, he is baptizing, and all, uh, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him, uh, given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above, is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, but yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets 
his seal, his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent uh, utters the words of God, for he who gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so we see that we understand that love is about action. Love is about attitude. In our passage of Scripture this morning, we're going to see and take a look at what we just read, but John's attitude, ultimately, of his love that he has for Christ. Well, what's love? I was at a wedding this uh, weekend, uh, and they talked about love and they said, you know, love's a funny word. We, we say, we tell our spouse or, or, or child or, or maybe boyfriend or girlfriend, I love you. But then we also say, I love chocolate. So apparently, I, I, I don't love Emily the same way as I love chocolate uh, or bacon uh, that was probably a better, like, I need to let them know that. Next wedding he does. I would use bacon. Um, but I love bacon. I love my, uh, my wife. I love my dearest friends. Um, and the Bible says that, the, that God is love, right? That humans crave love from the, the moment of existence. The word love describes an emotion with this vastly differing degrees of intensity. And we see, we see four different or types of love is found in Scripture. There's eros, which is the Greek word for, for this sensual romantic love. And then there's, there's storge, which is is a term for love in the Bible, may not be as familiar, but it's this, this word that describes this family love, this affectionate bond that develops between a parent and child, brothers and sisters. Um, and some of you may be thinking, I don't love my brother and sister. I, 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 we fight like cats and dogs. No. <laughs> Christians are members of this God's family, right? Our, our lives are knit together by something stronger than physical ties, the bonds of the Spirit. We, we're related by something more powerful than, than human blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. And God calls his children to love each other with this deep, affectionate, uh, storge love. Then there's uh, philia, Right, This type of intimate love in the Bible that most Christians practice towards one another. It's this term that describes this powerful emotional bond in deep friendships. So it's not just a love that you may have for another brother and sister in Christ, but a love that you have for a deep relationship, a close friend. Philia uh, originates from the Greek term philos, you know, beloved dear, a friend, someone dearly loved, prized, um, a trusted confidant, a confidant hold dear in a close bond of this personal relationship. And so this, ex this type of love expresses this experience-based love. 
It's the most general type of love in Scripture, encompassing love for fellow humans, care, respect, this compassion for people um, in need. Uh, this concept of brotherly love, right? Philadelphia, the brotherly, the city of brotherly love. Um, and Jesus said Philia would, would be this uh, an identifier of his followers. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then there's agape. Agape love is, the, is kind of the, I don't want to put one, it's kind of this pinnacle type of love. Um, because it's this term that defines God's immeasurable, incomparable love for, hum, for humankind. It, it's the divine love that comes from God. Agape love is perfect. It's unconditional, sacrificial. It's, it, it's pure. Jesus demonstrated this kind of divine love uh, to his Father and to all humanity. Uh, the way he lived and then ultimately died. Right? Jeff just covered this passage just this past week. For God so loved the world, world that he gave his only son and that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Love is one of the most powerful emotions that we can experience. And, and for Christian believers, love is the truest test of, of genuine faith. And we're talking about love and especially agape love. And we say unconditional love. But I even wanted to kind of unpack that for just a second. Because if there's unconditional love, that means then there's conditional love, right? Makes sense. But conditional love doesn't feel very nice. Like, in fact, it doesn't even, may not even feel like love at all. When someone loves us conditionally, it means they put terms, they put restrictions, rules, on the giving of their love. While a person can have feelings of deep care or affection for you, their love is conditional if it feels like you have to earn it. Conditional love often vanishes during difficult times. We can, you know, maybe call that fair weather love, meaning a partner, a family member, a friend emotionally or literally bails when tough times come. Conditional love doesn't always feel good. It's not a tried and true love, and often it can cause deep pain to those on the receiving end of that. If someone is making you feel unworthy of love, even at your darkest times, this person uh, is most likely offering a conditional love, which is contrary to the very definition of love. But unconditional love, unconditional love can be difficult to describe. It, 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 it's love without conditions, limitless, no barriers. 
unconditional love, in that there's no sense of I will love you if, or I will only love you when. Unconditional love is boundless. It's often compared to the kind of love, and it is the kind of love that God has for us. There's no sense of owing. There's no, there's no way or need for repayment. Love is given freely without cost. It's not an exchange. It's not an offering. Unconditional love is deeply healing because it means we're seen and accepted for who we are. Even during our most difficult times. And that's why I think it's very important in, in, in times of, of trauma and of healing that we must learn to unconditionally love ourselves. Love is about action. Love is about attitude. And so when we look at John's attitude of, Lord, of love towards Jesus, we see several different things in play here. We see this attitude of, of obedience. We see this attitude of humility and service. We see this attitude of faith, of full belief. In verse 22, after this, Jesus, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing John was also baptizing because of the plentiful water, and people are coming and being baptized. And so in these verses, we find Jesus being obedient to the Father's plan to reveal his love to the world and restore the created order. Right here, we find Jesus doing exactly what he will instruct his disciples to do when he ascends into heaven. Go and make disciples. And we find Jesus going and making disciples. And this is confirmation for the reader about John the Baptist. This reveals his obedient heart. He was making disciples and baptizing them into repentance. We have to understand that John's ministry was different than that of Jesus. Okay, obedience and work are great things in the kingdom. However, as believers, there's times that we get caught up in the details of doing the ministry itself. And we can lose sight of who we are and what role is ours in the kingdom. And this happens here with John's disciples. They were so wrapped up in with the ministry that they lost sight of where they were and what role what their role was. They were doing their ministry. They were doing what God had called them to do, what John had taught them to do, and then a situation arose and their focus was shaken. They, they hit this pothole, so to speak, in their walk. So a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, what in the world? Right? <laughs> what, what's going on? He who's with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, there's more people over there. Both locations are this extreme northern part of Judea. First, we can know that Jesus and his disciples were not that far away from John and his disciples. 
obviously, if they can see, either they got word, so they were close enough to get word, or they were close enough that they could kind of gauge and see, physically see, what was going on. But they were both groups were engaged in kingdom building, right? Both groups were making disciples. They were baptizing people. We can see that both groups were reflecting an obedient heart to the work God had called them to. Both groups were answering the call of God in their lives. They, they, they have looked like ministry teams, would have looked like ministry teams doing the same thing. But there was a difference in their ministries. John's ministry was a foundation-laying ministry. A ministry that cleared the path for Jesus' ministry. John was not, John was not able to bring about salvation to his followers. What he did do was make them realize their need for repentance. Okay? The baptism John instituted was confirmed by his followers of their confession and repentance of sin, or from sin. But here we find that they have this situation arising, and in reading the text, this situation that's implied it happens when a Jew, presumably one that had just been baptized by Jesus' disciples, came to the disciples of John and asked a question, that angered or upset them and we're not told exactly what that like the nature or the background of the question um, but the Greek word used originally is this discussion like this question debate controversy argument even um, and so obviously this question struck a chord like picked at a scab you know it brought out this jealousy, the, even envy from the disciples of John. And there seems to be this resentment towards Jesus and his disciples by the disciples of John. Man, this is a, this is a human trait to the core, right? This, this jealousy, this envy, this resentment. It can happen in believers sitting in this room or churches across our community all over the world I mean believers can resent other groups of believers because of their successes oh mega church and it usually takes the form of some kind of derogatory comment or something being said to belittle that group or that uh place or that person I mean Jesus faced this situation in Luke 9 right and he defended the others who were ministering in his name he told his disciples that if they were proclaiming his name in the ministry that they were with him and not against him we are all called into work and ministry for the kingdom all but we're not all called to be competitive with each other. It's not a race or it's not a uh, something to be won. Right now, my kids are in the midst of this process where every single thing is a race. Hey, guys, we're going to 
It's a race to the truck. It's a race to sit on which side of the truck. It's a race to see who can brush their teeth the fastest. It's a race to see who's going to sit on the left side or the right side of the couch when we're reading stories. Like every single thing is a competition. I'm telling you right now, it wears me out. I'm like, I, I don't even understand how this can be a competition. It makes me think, God feel that way about it. Like, he's like, oh my God. Go and make disciples, and now you guys are going to make it a competition of going and making disciples? Like, how does that even work? But we're not called. So we, we can't fall prey to this pitfall competition. We're all on the same team. One thing that this flashed in my mind um, early in getting into ministry, um, we used to go to uh, different conferences, and they still have different conferences and stuff like that, but there was kind of this pinnacle time where you would go to different ministry conferences and different stuff like that. Great, great, great things being shared and done through these um, and awesome intent. I found myself, and this was my flaw, not the conference's flaw, but I found myself many times leaving envious. Like, did you see the light system they had? Chase, we're getting that light system. Like, did you see, like, and and so as I was coming to be encouraged and, and, and like, I was, but then there was a part of me that was like, oh, man, if we could just have this or if we could do that or did you see how many people were there or like whatever, whatever. And so what seems to be implied here is that this man had questioned the need, basically questioning the need. John, why are you around? Jesus is here. Like you were heralding him in. Why are you even a thing anymore? And John didn't bite. We see that John was focused on his ministry. And we need to be focused on what God has called us to do and do it well, right? There's a simple truth that we can learn to apply in our walk with Christ, and that's the attitude of obedience that we see John just exhibiting here in these verses. We can all learn from this. Learn to submit ourselves to the calling of obedience to God. It could be that you've been called to to a volunteer or vocational ministry or serve within the local church in Sunday school or deacon or ministry team. It could be that you're being feeling called or have been called to be a light, to, to be a voice piece in your workplace or at school uh, or your business. And the question is not if, if God has called you. The question is have you answered his call? Others may doubt your calling, okay? Others may question you in your calling, but when God calls, he wants you to obey. And so you have to ask yourself, are you serving God with the same attitude of obedience that John is showing us in these scriptures, in his life that John is revealing to us. Are we 
serving in that same attitude. John's disciples were loyal to John, and in spite of what John said about Jesus in chapter 1, they defended John to this Jewish man and argued with him, and that argument increases, eventually spilling over into John's lap, and here John reveals a second characteristic of his attitude and how it reflects his love for Christ. We see this attitude of humility and of service. John answers him in verse 27. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. Told you a long time ago. But I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. Now I can almost see the look on like John's disciples' face waiting to hear like John's response to the situation, right? And I'm sure he was like confident because John is a pretty outspoken dude, right? I'm sure he was probably expecting him like to unleash uh, on fully confident of rebuking this Jew and, and rebu- just as he had rebuked the Pharisees so many times and John didn't react well as the disciple thought he was going to anyway he basically tells him listen you've heard me say I'm not the Messiah but that I was sent to pave the way for him and this picture paints this picture to help his disciples understand. He uses this analogy of a wedding uh, and how the focus is on the groom. Well, first century weddings were folk, all focused about the groom. They weren't all about the bride like, uh, like our current times are. The groom was this featured person at the first century weddings. Um, and John was basically saying he was like the best man or the friend of the groom. Part of the wedding part of the wedding but not the focus of the wedding and so John understood that he was part of God's plan but he was but Jesus was the plan John told how much joy the friend has when he saw when he sees the groom this was his way of telling the disciples how much joy he was experiencing right then and in that moment when he saw Jesus John was joyful that Jesus had come. He fully understood that Jesus' time had come, and because Jesus' time had come, it was time for him to become less, to step aside. John was rejoicing because of the prominence of Jesus. He didn't resent it at all. They're probably like, they're baptizing more people over there. He's probably like, Humility was his attitude. John knew and accepted the sovereignty of Jesus. John understood again that it, it was this did not lessen, it did not belittle what he had done or the importance of his ministry. That was God's plan. God's plan was for John, like 
That's an integral part, a forerunner of Jesus. So now that Jesus is here, it's not like, well, I don't need you. No, that was part of his plan. And so what it did do, though, is John's response did acknowledge that Jesus was above him. And because Jesus was above him, Jesus should be acknowledged as greater. And John goes on to explain himself. In the next few verses, he repeats a statement two different times. The one who comes from above uh, is above all. John understood uh, this is to include him and his ministry. And so John states that the one who is earthly, speaking of himself, speaks in earthly terms. Um, In other words, can only relate so much to the kingdom. And John's message was important. It was part of God's plan. It it was not a complete message. It was a message of preparation for for the coming Messiah. The completion of the message was Jesus. And John understood his place in that and submitted to that place in God's kingdom. So why so many times we get caught up in ministry and we're involved in and we lose sight of who we're serving. It becomes all about the the what we're doing and it's not about the why. And so the last characteristic that we see in John's attitude... um, was this attitude of faith, of, 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 full, of, of true belief. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but... The wrath of God remains on him. And so in verse 32, John speaks of Jesus and the implications here that he has full belief in Jesus. But there we know in Scripture there were so many that didn't. I'm referring to the religious leaders of the day. They doubted and refused to believe in Jesus. Up to and even after his crucifixion and resurrection. How many of us have doubts in our lives? Like a ton, right? <laughs> How many of us allow the, the, the doubt and rejection of others affect our own walk with God? Our own faith in Christ. John reveals here that he had a solid resolve and and faith in Jesus, regardless of the doubts of others. John tells us that those who have accepted Jesus have revealed the truth of God. And Jesus later in his ministry said, I'm the way, I am the truth, and the life. Believe in Jesus as God's Son confirms the belief in Jesus as God's Son confirms the truthfulness of God in this redemption plan. It's a redemption plan. It revealed the truth about his promise to restore the created order that was destroyed by sin. 
verse 34, we can see that John's faith is, is emboldened even further and giving us three reasons why he believes Jesus to be the Messiah. God sent him. This is clear reference to Jesus as Messiah, the anointed one. Um, it coincides with John 3.16. He speaks God's words. Another clear reference to Jesus as Messiah. This refer, uh, refers to belief in Jesus as God's son, Lamb of God, who's sent directly from God. And since he gives the Spirit without measure... Another reference to Jesus the Messiah. God is in him. Jesus is fully anointed by God. God withholds nothing from Jesus. Colossians uh, 1.15 refers to this belief when Paul says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Speaking of Jesus. John fully believed not only in God's forgiveness, of which he preached and baptized people into, but John also knew and understood Jesus as the fulfillment of God's plan. Jesus was the completion of that plan. And so we find John setting his, setting his disciples straight in that he was adamant that he was all about Jesus. And it was not about him. God's plan was Jesus. John was part of that, but not the focus. He tells them not only through Jesus can he tells them that only through Jesus can they know eternal life, accept Jesus and know eternal life. But for those who reject Jesus, all have to look forward to is the the wrath and judgment. And so John understood that God had called him to work in the kingdom. And he had submitted in obedience to that work, just as God had called him. John understood his place in the kingdom as well. He, he was called to be part of God's plan, but he wasn't the focus. John understood and, and submitted to obedience and humbled himself that, he, that it was not about him. And he did this because John firmly believed that Jesus was God and that it was only through him that salvation could be obtained. And so John preached confession of sin and had offered a baptism, baptism into forgiveness of current sin, but he could not fulfill the role of Savior. We cannot allow ourselves to lose sight of the fact that Jesus is Savior. When we lose sight of that, we're useless in the kingdom. The ministry is the result of Jesus. Jesus is not the result of our ministry. We minister out of Jesus. And so I want to challenge, I guess, um, all of us that are here this morning, like, to step up and, and begin to live our lives with this attitude of love for Jesus that John had. Like this, to submit in obedience to, to working for God. 
it made me think, it's been months ago, or I'm horrible at time, it could have been two years ago, but it seems like months ago, but we were talking about our faith, and, and I talked about this idea of our faith can't be a checklist of to-dos, like it's a lifestyle or a mindset, it's not a checklist and I, I started thinking about that when I started talking about walking in obedience and working for God it's like it's not a list of things to do it's not a checklist it's a fill in the blank like what are you going to ask me fill in the blank God it's not a I've done this 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 and this I'm good And then humbling ourselves in service to him. Belief that he is a sovereign Lord. And so I'm just, myself and all that are here, I just have a call today to, to, to surrender our hearts to him. To surrender. If you already know him, that's your Savior. If it, but you've not been living your life with this attitude of love of unconditional love come and let's pray let's turn that over let's let it go let's release it if you don't know jesus as your personal savior i would encourage you to step out to come let's uh, let's pray with one another let's drop that let's let go of that burden, that, that luggage that you're carrying around that can weight us down to the point of just being uh, paralyzed. Come. It's a redemptive plan. You, in placing your faith in Christ, will be redeemed. God has promised that he would forgive and that he will save those who come to him. And so I just invite you this morning to do that. If you haven't, or to come and, and pray to align, to realign, to let go of. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you know our hearts. And I admit that can be a scary thing. You know my heart. And God, I just long to love unconditionally. Lord, I long to love those that you have put in my life with no expectation of what I'm getting in return for no uh, expectation of it being reciprocated. But God, I just long to love. And I know you love us. I know you love us well. I know there are times in our lives where we may think it's hard to see that. Depending upon the season, depending upon the valley or the mountaintop, Depending upon the storm, we, we 
may struggle to see that. Maybe we've had things go on in our lives that make us feel like we would never be able to accept that if given to us. But God, I know that understanding or beginning to understand this unconditional love that you have and beginning to love ourselves unconditionally as part of that healing process. And so, God, I just pray that throughout this place this morning that there would just be unconditional love poured out on each and every one of us in this room this morning, throughout our community, throughout the churches, that, throughout this country and this world, God, that we would realize you know us. Root out resentment. Root out pride. Root, root out envy. Allow us to walk with one another in love. Allow us to, to heal one another through you. Allow us to be your hands and feet unconditionally. God, we love you, and we just cry out to you this morning to guide and direct this church in doing that. And we pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Each week we have time of opportunity to be able to, to take communion together. You can take it individually, you can take it back to your seat, stand, stand with your family. But this is a time to just reflect, for, for, for God to continue to speak to us, for that, that Holy Spirit to be able to continue to mold us and break these barriers that we put up. And so I just pray that you would come and take communion with us this morning, remembering that sacrifice that was made on our behalf. And it wasn't because we were good enough. It wasn't because we said or did the right thing. It was because of unconditional love. Come this morning. <laughs>